hope. James chapter 5, verse number 13. Look at it with me, if you would, please, this evening. The Bible says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth. Help me, I pray, to help your people now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we looked at James chapter 5, as we have traversed during the, uh, through the first part of the over the last weeks, we have seen James focus upon a burden. We saw in the first part of this chapter as he spoke of a burden of work, a burden of dealing with those uh, who were treating the workers uh, unfairly and truly cruelly advantage of the poor and James speaks of a patient burden, a patient walk, a patient talk, a patient walk with God. Uh, testing one, two. Okay. All right. Are we back? All right. Sorry about that. Uh, the Bible says in James chapter 5, that, of course, James was speaking or talking about how there is a need to endure burdens and to have patience, patient work through burdens. James, of course, sets this into motion with the need of traversing uh, through situations with a patient work, knowing that God is going to bring just, uh, is God is going to correct all wrongs. And the Bible speaks that there is a admonishment, there is an instruction there to help with that in which is, uh, uh, James admonishes, excuse me, patience with the understanding that God will correct all wrongs, speaking of some burdens and some difficulties. He admonishes us truthfulness even among a society that was, of course, deceptively looking to find fault with believers in the church. Think about this for just a moment. Uh, the church uh, in which James pastored in Jerusalem, it was one that they were looking for a way, looking for a fault. They were looking to try to find an avenue in which they could cast blame, they could find fault with the uh, with the believers and James admonished them to be truthful to let their yea be yea and their nay nay to truly to be truthful in their dealings and to be honest to their words as they were being inspected and of course uh under a microscope if we can put it that way because of the atmosphere of that time and truly we are in a similar position we truly are being inspected uh, very carefully among others tonight. Uh, there, the world truly is looking for an avenue in which they can cast blame, they can find fault. And the Bible speaks about how important it is for us to have a honest communication in all that we do. And as we come to verse number 13 we see a switching and yet a similar context. James is speaking of burdens and of patiently allowing God to have his will and way. But as he speaks of a patient work through burdens, through difficulties, 
through unjustness, through unfair times. The Bible teaches us how we can endure hardship and sickness. How we can endure even in times in which we find very difficult before us. Tonight I want us to look first and foremost at the burden of hardship. Look at verse number 13 with me if you would please. Notice what the Bible says. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. That word afflicted there is the word speaking of a suffering in hardship. It speaks of harm or emotional pain. It speaks of a time in which there is trouble, distress. The Bible says, is any among you in trouble? Is any among you in a difficult time? Is any among you in a difficult way? And as someone is suffering a hardship, someone is afflicted, the Bible teaches us James admonished them to do just what? To pray. The enemy has come. The enemy has brought some things of difficulty in a Christian's life. And as one is patiently following God and patiently serving, being truthful in their communication, being truthful in their walk with life, the Bible says James has a solution to the difficulty, and that solution is to pray. Prayer is powerful. Thank God for the avenue in prayer. I love how the writer of Hebrews states it in chapter 10 in verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is that God has opened the way for prayer. God has opened wide that op wonderful opportunity to come to our great God in prayer. God hasn't given us a small means or just a small avenue or a narrow way in which to come to the Lord. He, in essence, says, I want, I'm opening up wide that avenue to prayer. He says, I'm throwing open the doors for a child of God to come to him and to pray. God wants to help with our burdens. God wants us to cast those things upon him. And there is no greater help that one can have with the burdens of hardship, with the burdens of difficulties, with the burdens of troubles than going to our great God because there is no trouble, there is no difficulty that is too big for our God. God is a miraculous, mighty God. There is no one like him. And God says, come to me and pray. Thank God we have that avenue in which we can come to Him and we can pray. We can truly enjoy those seasons of prayer, of pouring our hearts out, of truly of casting all our care upon Him, for He careth for us, according to Peter. Thank God that He truly loves and cares for us and that we can cast our troubles upon our great God, for, there's, for His shoulders are much bigger than our problems are. He can handle those. He can shoulder them. He can take care of them. He is the God of all gods. But I love how James levels this out, if we can put it this way. He tells the children of God, the child of God who is struggling a brother or sister in Christ who is having a difficult time to pray. But then he also has some practical help. He has a practicalness about it as well. He says, go to God. He's the one that can help you with your trouble. But then he has some practical nature to how to shoulder that and to how to help be patient as we seek and wait on an answer from God. Look at the last phrase of verse number 13 with me, please. 
Notice what he says. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. When one is in the valley of trouble, God allows another brother, sister in Christ to be enjoying a moment of merriness. That word merry there means well-being. It means one that is doing well. It means one that is operating and doing and, and going through life and enjoying the moment. The difficulties seem to be in a distance. The storm seems to have passed. They're not in the valley, but they're rather in the or on the mountaintop of life, if you could put it that way. And as they are seeing a well-being in their life. There's a natural merriment. There's a natural tendency to sing psalms. To sing a scriptural song. The book of Psalms, we've been reading through that for many, many weeks now. And as we've been reading through the book of Psalms, those were the songbook or the hymn book in which the children of God would use. And James reminds that those who are enjoying wonderful moments of life and things seem to be all okay at that moment to sing psalms, to sing the Word of God, to sing songs among others. Why? Because it helps lift a spirit. The only other time we find this word Mary in the New Testament is actually in the midst of another storm. In Acts chapter 27, you can turn there, we'll look at a verse in just a moment, or some verses in just a moment. But in Acts chapter 27, we see Paul on his way to go to Rome, imprisoned. He is bound to a centurion, to a soldier who is accompanying Paul to go to Rome to be put on trial for preaching Christ. And as he's on trial... And as he's going to trial, he is on a ship that is in the midst of a storm, a violent storm called Eurocliton. And this storm is such long lasting and so, so severe that the shipmen are fearing for their lives and fear that they are not going to make it out of this storm alive. And as they believe and look at their hope that has been lost and that everything appears to be dire and grim the bible says in acts chapter 27 verse number 25 paul approaches them and says wherefore sirs be of good cheer there's that same word in which we saw in james 5 for i believe god That it shall be even, as it was told me, Paul said, look, everything's going to be okay. The ship is going to be lost, but our lives are going to be spared. No one is going to be killed. We're going to make it safe. Yes, the ship is going to be lost, but everyone is going to be okay. And and amongst that storm, the rain is still... Uh, The rain is still coming down. The wind is still blowing. The darkness is still there. There's no way to navigate because of the clouds in the sky. They are truly lost and wondering where they are. And Paul says, let's just be of good cheer. Let's just be thankful for how good everything is at this moment. Wait a minute, Paul. Do you not see all the things that are going on? Do you not see the storm? Do you not see the waves? Do you not see all the troubles going on? And Paul encouraged those around him that God was in control and that everything was going to be okay. Look at verse number 33 of the same chapter. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. 
Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all of good cheer. And they also took some meat. There's something about one that is well, or of a merry heart, or of a good cheer. There's something about that that's contagious in spirit, and it actually goes and moves to the heart of others. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. A merry heart, a heart that is focused upon the hope and the blessings of what God has given, it is something that is a medicinal value, not only to one spirit, but it is contagious with others. It is something that suddenly makes things, the situation, to not look as grim or as dire as it may be. Oh, how wonderful it is that God puts us among brethren, that some are going through the valley, but others are experiencing the mountaintops of life. And God does so to help our spirits be even or to be encouraged and yea, for us to encourage others in those seasons of life my wife has a talent of doing this in a humorous way there's a spirit among one of our boys or around in which she can tell is going into a direction in which one ought not to think or would be discouraging or lead to sadness she has a talent of finding the humor of the situation and beginning to pull it out. And before long, instead of beginning to weep or to cry, one begins to crack a smile and begin to laugh and begin to understand that, hey, it's not quite as bad as what you might think it is. It's a talent. It's a gift. And God truly gives a church individuals like that at times at different times and sometimes you might be the one in the valley sometimes you might be the one on the mountaintop as it were but he gives the church people who can help balance and even our spirit and help us to be reminded like paul reminded those shipmen hey god is in control everything is going to be okay he's got this Let's go forward. We need that. And in the middle of a hardship, we need that help. We need that instruction. Thank God that he allows our hearts, the well-being of other hearts, to be contagious, to be infectious among others, and to help us to be even in our spirit. That's why church is so important and so vital. James says, let him sing psalms. Paul said, let's eat. There's something about singing and there's something about fellowshipping around a meal together that encourages the heart like other things truly cannot. Some good wisdom in that practicality of you're having difficulties, pray, be patient, Continue to walk truthful before others. And as you meet together, hear the psalms that others are singing. Fellowship around the meal with someone else. Enjoy those times in which God can use those to encourage one's heart and lift up our spirits. Thank God that he gives us a church, a brother, a sister in Christ that can be a help in the midst of a hardship. The burden of hardship is real. Don't forget God. Don't forget those who can truly encourage and help your spirit. Secondly, 
Look at the burden of sickness. Look at verse number 14 with me, if you would, please. Notice what Scripture says. Is any, among, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The Bible here speaks of a procedure in when a sickness comes. Now, let's just preface this a little bit. Not every sickness is one going to be able to go through this. Sometimes there are emergencies. Sometimes there are such in which accidents occur and one is completely unconscious. And obviously at those moments, uh, that's not what James is referring to here. He's not saying, okay, if you're unconscious, you've got to ask the doctor to keep you uh, stable so you can come to, and then you need to go to the church, and you need to pray, and then anoint your, and then be anointed with oil, and then you can go to the hospital as you are massively bleeding. That's not what God is speaking of there. Uh, James is speaking of a sickness, of a disease, of an illness that one is battling, is one is struggling with. Uh, he's not referring to emergency cases, and please uh, don't read into that. Sometimes our culture wants us to go clear one direction or clear the other, and James is speaking of something in which one is struggling with, some, someone is battling, and uh, the doctors are trying to find an answer. Maybe the doctors don't have an answer. Maybe it's a case in which uh, medicine has, has, has lost hope for an individual, or maybe it's a case in which someone is concerned about some symptoms and before going to the doctor it doesn't seem to be urgent uh, or maybe as they are scheduling uh, an appointment to go see the doctor they say I've got a couple days I'm going to go and I'm going to meet with the church and I want to have a time of prayer before I go see the doctor speaking of a situation like that and I want to make sure that we understand the context there uh, and we don't put it out of context amongst what James is speaking of here but as a sickness comes and a, a symptoms are either very evident or oncoming, and James encourages the children of God to call the elders of the church. The elders of the church, I believe, primarily are two things, and I believe in, uh, I believe in Scripture there's an allowance for a third area. The elders speaks of an appointed place. The Bible tells us that the pastor is called the elder of the church. So it's calling the pastor, and if there's pastoral staff, assistant pastor, or associate pastor, so on and so forth, that that would be appropriate to have called. That would be an elder. But I believe as we look at this as well, it's an appointed, it's an appointed office, and I believe as we look at it, there's an allowance there for also uh, the deacons, uh, those who have a spiritual role among the church. But then I believe also we can make an allowance, and I believe Scripture can, and I believe we can argue that, it's, uh, uh, argue this uh, in context, that as it speaks of not only the appointed, but it also speaks of an older Christian, an older child of God that's in the church. Someone who has a little bit of spiritual maturity, someone who's been through life, has seen some things, has gone through some areas, maybe even some sickness like you are experiencing, and has gone through that storm, has gone through that valley of life, and can be an encouragement and help. It is that type of elder, I believe, in which the Bible is speaking of here, to call them together and to do let uh, uh, and to do what pray over him. So again, it's calling the elders together. It's calling the pastor, the deacon or deacons. Uh, it's calling maybe some elders in the church, those in whom maybe God has spoke to your heart and has connected you with the church that have some spiritual maturity or those who have gone through that similar situation and calling them together and saying, let's pray. Let's pray for this. I want your prayers over this sickness. And the Bible says for the elders of the church to pray with him, to pray over him. The Bible continues with an anointing of oil. Now, I believe this oil, can we, as we look at it, 
Again, speaking of two things, culturally and contextually here in Scripture, I believe we, as we look through the Scripture, you'll find often that there are some medicinal oils uh, that one can use for ailments. There's a lot of that going on. I won't say that all the essential oils uh, I believe in, but there is some valid validity uh, to some of the medicinal values of some of these oils, and such was the case, yea, in in James' times as well. Remember, uh, medicine wasn't where it is today and they would uh, use some of those oils and very very well it may be that James was referring to in part some of the oils that the elders have seen God use to heal someone with similar symptoms or a similar illness I believe it could speak into that however I believe the primary uh, context of this is a symbolicness of the oil Oil in the scripture is used to signify the Holy Spirit. It is that in which would be used to signify a calling upon the Holy Spirit and his trust for health. It is one recognizing and submitting oneself to the Spirit of God and saying, I want what the Holy Spirit wants. Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and direct in this area of sickness. I want your will, and I want to follow what you have for me. And so I believe the oil is primarily a symbol of the Spirit of God. But as we said a moment ago, I believe it, it, it is possible that it could also have been some medicinal oils that the elders would use as well. Notice what the Bible continues in verse number 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So the Bible speaks of this prayer, this prayer of faith. He continues from verse number 14 and continues into this very thought. As he expounds upon the reason or the purpose for this. And the purpose for this is twofold, one of which is faith that the Lord shall heal in his way and timing. There's a lot of things that go on today under faith healing that are not scriptural. A lot of things going on today that are against scripture. God never ever called together a huge group of people and only healed just a few in this large group or large assembly. Now, were there some times where there was large multitudes assembled and Jesus healed in the midst of that? Yes, but you see Jesus going to those places in which there were some sick, in which there were some blind people, in which there were some lame men, in which there was some leprosy, and he healed when no one was watching, when no one was looking, and discouraged even those from telling them, uh, telling others about who healed him. And so it wasn't a big promotional time and uh, so often what is done today is nothing more than a money making scheme than it is a god-given scheme now can god still work in those times certainly god can do what he desires to do but i believe as we look at scripture the balanced of scripture is for one to put it in context of one going and doing so privately Uh, we've prayed over people we've anointed people with oil we've never done so in a glamorous or in a public setting we've always done so privately we've always done so in the privateness of an office or in a room with the elders gathered together and praying and asking God to bring healing and health God has answered prayer and we've seen God work in that and how wonderful it is to see how God does give healing but it's this coming of faith it's just recognizing that God is a healing God and God truly once I believe as we look at scripture and as we look at the context of scripture God will make all things new in our life he's going to heal every disease he's going to heal everything in our body one day we'll come to that in just a moment uh, God is for health and I believe God wants us uh, to be 
healthy. However, the Bible does teach us that God does use the illness or the sickness uh, to help strengthen our faith, patiently working through faith, patiently enduring that burden, knowing that God is going to make everything right. First of all, as we look at the at, as we look at this faith, stepping of faith, trusting God for healing, first of all, as we do so, there's three, three answers, three responses in which God may give here to this faithful prayer for the sick and with the sick regarding an illness. First of all, God may give healing. The Bible tells us that there are many times when God answers with a fully recovered health. At times, this in the Bible was instant. At times, God would use a man or a medicine to help bring healing and health. Often in Scripture, New Testament and Old, we can see this over and over and over again. But, as, but we also need to remember that this was only a temporary thing. All of those in whom God healed, they eventually died. They're in heaven today. God gave healing for the moment, and thank God for that. God does give healing, and God may choose to give healing. God may choose to bring that healing, but that's his choice. And again, that's where the Bible says, the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Again, it's trusting the Lord, our master, knows what's best. He knows what's best in our lives. We may not understand it on this side of eternity, but God knows what's best. And God says, I want you to trust me. Would you have enough faith to come to me in prayer, trusting me for the sickness that in which you are suffering with? So first of all, God may give healing. Secondly, God at times simply gives grace. What do we mean by that? Look at the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. Look at verse number 7 with me. The Bible speaks of Paul, Paul the apostle of Christ, uh, helping the church in Corinth. And as he wrote to this church in Corinth, he was suffering with, as he calls it here, a thorn in the flesh, a physical infirmity. We don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was. Some say it could have been a very poor eyesight uh, or severe eye problems. Some say it's very possible it could have been epilepsy. We honestly don't know. We just know that there was a physical infirmity. There was a sickness that he besought the Lord for three times. Let's read scripture here before I get ahead of uh, the word of God. Uh, look at verse number seven with me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory, rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God told Paul, yes, I can heal but I'm going to allow my grace to be sufficient. My grace is what you need. My grace will give you strength. When you are weak, you're going to see my strength. When you think you cannot continue on, you're going to see my grace be sufficient. Paul decided that he was going to take pleasure in infirmities. Why? Because God's grace, God's strength, God's favor was going to carry him through. And there are times in a Christian, uh, in, in, in some Christian's life, not every Christian will, will suffer with this. Sometimes God has, a, has something unique for an individual, and that uniqueness for the individual entails suffering with sickness that doesn't mean god does not like you or he hates you or he is mad with you in any way but it is what he sees can make his 
glory strong in your life through his grace. God gives grace at times. God gives strength through those seasons. Not only Paul suffered with this, but the Bible tells us that Trophimus dealt with this very thing. In 2 Timothy 4, verse number 20, the Bible says, But Trophimus have I left at my lead sick. So even Paul, who dealt with this man Trophimus, uh, he himself was dealing with sickness. Paul left him there. God did not heal Trophimus, according to Scripture, when Paul left. Uh, Paul left him, and Trophimus suffered with a sickness. There was a suffering there, but God would give grace. God gives grace. There are times where God gives healing. There are times where God gives grace, where God gives an opportunity for strength to be shown in our weakness physically. But also, thirdly, God gives a glorified body. There are times when God answers through taking one to heaven. I remember years ago, when my mother-in-law was dying of lymphoma, she had gone through treatments and the doctors were getting less and less optimistic. And I remember there was a time in which she did exactly what James chapter 5, verse number 14 said. She called for the elders. I remember we were uh, there at our home church and uh, we, with the pastor and the deacons and the staff there, went in and we began to pray for her. We anointed her with oil there, praying and trusting God for his will. We had hoped and we had prayed, and we, we had hoped and we were praying that God would heal. And God did heal. But God healed in a way in which we, humanly speaking, would miss. I love my mother-in-law. I still do. But God chose to heal her permanently. God chose to heal her with a glorified body. God chose to heal her by taking all sickness and all tears away. He chose to give her a new body in heaven. God answered, Oh yes, we would like to spend time with her. However, when we think about it, though, life here is just a vapor. And we'll get to spend all of eternity together. We will get to spend all of eternity future, never more parted. Oh, it's parted for a short time here. But God has given her an incredible thing, a home in heaven, eternal home in heaven. So often we look at death as a very bad thing, but to a Christian, it's a good thing. It's nothing to dread. It's nothing to fear. In fact, it is an opportunity to step from the sinful world and the pleasures that this world so much throws at us that leads us into sin. It's a moment to step out of that and into the very threshold of an eternity with Jesus Christ our Savior. Enjoying those beautiful streets of gold, entering those amazingly pure up. Uh, a pearly gates, enjoying the splendors of heaven, the presence of our wonderful God forever and ever and ever. It is not something to fear. It's something to look forward to. What a wonderful thing as a child of God. We don't have to dread death, but rather we can look at it as a way in which we transfer over into the glories of our Savior. We get to see our Savior face to face. Yes, our loved ones will miss us for a time. But remember, those who are saved, born-again children of God will get to spend eternity with us. Those moments that they will be here on this earth will seem just like that, fractions of a moment in heaven. The Bible says... The Bible says one day is a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is one day with the Lord. God has no time in heaven. It's eternity. It is something in which when one slips their eyes in, or close their eyes in death, they open it to life anew. What a wonderful thing it is. What an awesome thing it is to go to be with our Savior. Oh, how, what a thing it is 
Can we fully imagine the splendors of heaven? No, we cannot. It is beautiful beyond description. It is greater than anyone could ever tell. And oh, how wonderful it is when God chooses to heal in that way. And sometimes he does. And that's his prerogative. Why? Because he is the giver of life and he's the taker of life. He knows what's best. And the prayer of faith is trusting God. Saying, God, I don't know which one of these you're going to choose. Maybe you're going to choose to give me healing. It'll be temporary, but you'll give me healing. Maybe you're going to choose to give me grace through this. Maybe you're going to heal me permanently. Whatever it is that you choose, I trust you. Because, Lord, you raise the sick. What a wonderful God we have that we can trust explicitly with our health but i want you to notice there's another reason in which why in which sickness may come sometimes it's just god allowing us the moment to exercise faith and to grow in faith but james puts it another way here as well look at verse number 15 the last part of that please and if if he committed sins they shall be forgiven him. I read a commentary about this portion of Scripture, and one of the commentaries or commentators was very despondent upon this and took some things even out of context in this portion of Scripture because of a bad experience that he had years ago with understanding how God may answer prayer. He thought when he practiced James 5.14 that God would immediately heal in his family. God chose not to. However, God chose rather to use a doctor that would end up bringing a cure to that illness, that sickness in his family's life. But because the timing wasn't his, he chose to take a very despondent way that the only reason why one would ever approach this area would be because of grievous sin. But the Bible says, if he have committed sins. If he have committed sins. James clearly states that this happens to some individuals who are like Job, righteous and living a perfect, doesn't mean a sinless life, but are living to their potential in Christ, who are living a life that's following Christ. And as they are following Christ, God allows some things like Job to come into their life, again, to increase and to strengthen faith, to bring into maturity that patience for God. But there are times where, when sin enters in that God uses sickness to allow our, our attention to be captured or to be arrested back upon him. Sometimes he allows this sickness to humble us, to come to a point in where we repent, we confess, and we forsake sins. You see, God is ready to forgive. And he wants us to bring us to a place in which we openly confess and openly come to him forsaking those sins in 1 john 1 9 familiar verse it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so often God is just waiting for us to come to him and to get things right and to come before the Lord but sometimes we are stubborn Sometimes we refuse to do so, and God will use sickness at times to capture our attention. And at that time, so often, the Holy Spirit begins to work. The Holy Spirit begins to remind us about something in which we have sinfully committed before the Lord. God has seen it. We choose to harbor it and to keep it. And God says, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to open it so that way when you try to hover, cover it, 
you won't be able to cover it. Everyone's going to know. It's much better to confess and forsake it than God to expose it. The church in Corinth was dealing with that very thing. Recently, we've preached through chapter number 11. If you remember, they, took the, uh, they were taking the Lord's Supper uh, uh, in vain. They were doing so uh, with uh, wrong intentions and wrong motives, and they were doing so with harboring sin in their heart. And Paul said that there is sickness and even death that has come into this church because of taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. Elisha, in the Old Testament, had a ministry helper, an assistant, if we can put it that way, named Gehazi. Gehazi coveted a man's wealth and payment after Elisha had miraculously healed the man of his sickness. Gehazi went uh, thinking Elisha would never know, went and bartered for that payment and received it, was going to hide it, and God exposed it and would use leprosy as a chastisement for Gehazi's sin. Often the Holy Spirit will bring this to mind. Why? Because He wants us to be healed physically and spiritually. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Again, here's that leading in from verse number 15 of going and confessing sins and of getting things right and putting things right between others, even among the church, and making sure that your relationships are right, not only with the Lord, but with others. And as we get those relationships right, sometimes God will use those moments of confessing our faults one to another and to praying one for another to bring healing spiritually and physically to us. God is a God in which wants to get all things right. And He will. It's so much easier to submit and humble. But notice what the Bible tells us in the last part of that, verse number 16. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word availeth means strong or strength. So the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man is much strong or is very strong. The occasion of a righteous man, a preacher of yesteryear named Charles Finney, he told the story of how he was in a city called Utica, New York, and as he was in Utica, New York, God brought some healing. He tells a situation like this. A circumstance occurred in his neighborhood, which I must not fail to notice. There was a cotton ma- a manufactory on the Oriskany Creek, a little above Whitesboro, a place called New York Mills. It was, un- it was owned by an unconverted man, but a gentleman of high standing and good morals. My brother-in-law was at that time superintendent of the factory. I was invited to go and preach at that place and went up one evening and preached in the village schoolhouse, which was large and was crowded with hearers. The word, I could see, took powerful effect among the people, especially among the young people who were at work in the factory. The next morning after breakfast, I went into the factory to look through it. As I went through, I observed there was a good deal of agitation among those who were busy at their looms and their mules and other implements of work. On passing through one of the apartments where a great number of young women were attending to their weaving, I observed a couple of them eyeing me and speaking very earnestly to each other, and I could see that they were a good deal agitated, uh, agitated, excuse me, although they both laughed. I went slowly toward them. They saw me coming and were evidently much excited. One of them was trying to mend a broken thread, and I observed that her hands trembled so that she could not mend it. I approached slowly, looking on each side at the machinery. As I passed, but observed that this girl grew more and more agitated and could not proceed, uh, proceed with her work. 
When I came within eight or ten feet of her, I looked solemnly at her. She observed it and was quite overcome and sunk down and burst into tears. The impression caught almost like powder, and in a few moments nearly all in the room were in tears. This feeling spread through the factory. The owner of the establishment was present, and seeing the state of things, he said to the superintendent, Stop the mill and let the people attend to religion, for it is more important that our souls should be saved than that this factory run. The gate was immediately shut down and the factory stopped. But where should we assemble? The superintendent suggested that the mule room was large and the mules being run up, we could assemble there. We did so. At a more powerful meeting, I scarcely ever attended. It went on with great power. The building was large and had many people in it. From the garret to the cellar, the revival went through the mill with astonishing power, and in the course of a few days, nearly all in the mill were hopefully converted. There is great power from an effectual righteous man. Oh, how wonderful it is that God can use the power in prayer. God wants our hearts to be right with Him. Our, he wants our hearts to be right with one another. And as one is right with God and right with one another, God can use that prayer in a mighty and a powerful way. God can do miracles. God is a miracle-working God. God can do anything He chooses to do. Oh, how we ought to pray. Lastly and quickly, I know I'm past time, and I apologize, let me quickly here close with verses number 17 and 18. Notice what the Bible teaches us. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elias is the Greek word name for Elijah in the Bible. The Bible tells us he prayed earnestly. That's a unique phrase right there. That word prayed earnestly in verse number 17 actually means to pray in his prayer. What does that mean? That means Elijah put his passions into his prayer. Prayer wasn't something he simply got out of a book or simply recited for sake of time or did so just because it was the, uh, uh, just off the top of his head, but rather his passions, his heart, his whole being was put into prayer. He wasn't simply just praying to hear words said. He was praying with all of his heart, with all of his might. He was praying in prayer. Elijah, as a man who prayed, confronted Ahab and Jezebel, arguably the most wicked king and queen Israel has ever had. This wicked queen and, uh, king and queen allowed apostasy and idolatry and perversion to be brought into Israel and even fueled their desires in the Israelites. Israel was sick with sin. It was sick unto death elijah knew god wanted to heal israel and to encourage their hearts to come back to him so he approached ahab and he claimed a promise before god in prayer that promise we find in deuteronomy chapter 28 in deuteronomy chapter 28 verse number 23 he he claimed the promise in thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust from heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. God gave a promise in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that if they went away from God that he would and may bring a drought. And the Bible tells us that Elijah captured onto that prayer promise, onto that promise in which God gave the Israelites many years before. And Elijah seeing the state and see the sickness of sin that was so uh, that uh, that was so infectious throughout Israel and was tearing Israel uh, 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 apart. He 
claimed a promise and said, God is going to bring a drought. And he prayed for that drought, and God truly did. For three and a half years, that drought continued. And after three and a half years, God brought Elijah out from hiding as Ahab and Jezebel sought the life of Elijah, and God spared Elijah. God kept him hidden for those three and a half years. No rain at all for three and a half years. The drought was severe. Elijah came out and he assembled the children of Israel to Mount Carmel. And he allowed God to show himself strong. He made a deal. He said, I'm going to allow the prophets of Baal to build an altar and to cry out to Baal. And if he's God... Let him answer in fire. I'm going to build an altar. And if he is God, he'll answer by fire. The prophets of Baal built their altar and cried and cried and cried. And you can read the story in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And they cried and cried, even cutting themselves, letting their blood drape or drip across the altar that they had made, trying to call down fire, but there was no answer. Nothing happened. Elijah built the altar, covered it with water many times, prayed, and God sent fire down from heaven and consumed the altar, consumed the fire, uh, consumed the water, truly consumed every part of it. And all of Israel, seeing the mighty power of God, came and recognized that they were serving a false god. Baal was their idol, and they had turned and surrendered and humbled their heart to God and said, The Lord, He is God. And they recognized that they were going a wrong direction and repented. They repented by taking the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, and killing them all, not allowing any of them to escape and to continue into their apostasy, into their perversion, spreading lies, instead of preaching the truth of God. The Bible then tells us that as Israel recognized that God is God and repented of those things, Elijah, the Bible says, then went and prayed, claiming the first part of Deuteronomy 28. You can look at it later. We're not going to forsake the time tonight. But in that first part of Deuteronomy 28, he gave a blessing, and then the latter part of Deuteronomy 28, he gave a curse. If you know me and follow me and, uh, and follow my word, I will give you blessing and I will bring truly much fruit and health and I will bring hope and, and joy. I will bring blessing upon you and upon your people. And that blessing is for which, which Elijah prayed. He prayed and asked God for the blessing once again of that life-giving and fruit-providing rain. And oh, how did God respond? Oh, he responded by bringing a great rain to that country. He healed from that drought, but he did so through prayer. Prayer changes things. Prayer avails much. Oh, how we need some righteous men. We need some righteous women. We need some righteous children of God who will truly get a hold of God once again and pray. May I encourage you to pray. When a burden is coming, whether it's hardship, whether it's sickness, or even some other circumstance which God brings or, allow, or allows in our life, He does so for us to understand there is a God in heaven who can heal, who can... Who, uh, uh, who can help us through the troubles, who can take us through the storms. He is the God in whom, yea, we can trust every moment of our life. Every hour I need thee. Every hour I need our wonderful God in prayer. And oh, my friends, we need to come to a point in our life again where we pray. We need some Elijahs. We need some men who will get on their face before a holy God and pray. When's the last time your passions, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul was poured into prayer 
prayer. My friends, if we're going to have a revival in our heart, in our life, we need to come back to the point in which we have Elijah praying power once again. And it comes by praying in our prayer. It comes by praying earnestly and fervently and with a righteous heart. Would you get your heart right with the with your holy God? Would you get your right, your heart right before others? And would you come to your holy God as a righteous man, fervently praying, knowing that God, your prayer avails is much strong, is very strong. Thank God for the avenue we have in prayer. Prayer works. I encourage you tonight to pray. I mentioned a moment ago to pray for the Easter services. Would you pray? As burdens are given, as our cross is given to be bore, pray. Because God promises help with the burden. He wants to help us. But as we saw in James, so often we have not because we Ask not. May we pray. God offers help. God provides strength. Trust Him tonight. It begins on our knees. Pray.